I want to share a little story with you about how I went from inhaling muffins in the solitude of a public toilet to eating a muffin on a plate at a table like a regular person. I want to share my triumphs over the past and show you what food freedom looks like for me. Today, I used a voucher that has been sitting in my purse for weeks. It was a voucher for a free muffin from Muffin Break. This voucher has been sitting in my purse and I kept forgetting to use it. Today I used it. The triumph over the past. Forgetting to use the voucher. I no longer obsess about muffins or food for that matter. So that voucher just sat there until today when I finally remembered to use it. Today I claimed my free muffin. The triumph over the past. I allow myself to eat foods I enjoy and I eat them guilt free. Today the muffin was placed in a brown paper bag that says in large letters muffin break and I took that muffin back to my office. The triumph over the past. No shame in carrying that brown paper bag labelled muffin break. Today, when I got to my office, the muffin was still intact. I hadn't nibbled on it during the walk back. The triumph over the past. Zero self-control or resistance was required to keep that muffin intact. Today, I then proceeded to eat my lunch. Triumph over the past. I ate my lunch for lunch, not the muffin for lunch. Today... After lunch, I felt like something sweet, so I made myself a coffee, placed my muffin on a plate and sat down to, at my desk to enjoy my coffee and my muffin. Triumph over the past? I sat at my table with a coffee and I had my muffin on a plate. I recall back in 2002 when I was clean eating, healthy eating, being good, being controlled, watching what I ate, all of which is uh, dieting by the way. I finally bought a muffin after obsessing about them for weeks on end. It was cheat day and I was allowed. The muffin was put in a brown paper bag that read muffin break. For the way I felt, it was like a giant red and yellow flashing bag which illuminated shame, shame, shame. I was so ashamed to be holding such an item that I couldn't walk through the plaza holding it. I was also so desperate to eat that damn muffin that I couldn't wait to get home and eat it like a normal person would, casually and calmly with a cup of coffee. Instead, I took the muffin into the public toilets, I shut the door, lowered the toilet seat lid, sat down and inhaled that muffin in 3.5 seconds. I didn't even taste it. What I did taste, though, was the familiar feeling of guilt and shame. Oh, the shame. The shame of giving in to my weakness. The shame of losing control once again. The shame of eating something bad and breaking my diet. The shame of hiding in a public toilet and stuffing my face. The shame that one muffin didn't satisfy and given the chance I could have eaten five more like it. The shame of feeling so controlled by food. Guilt, shame, guilt, shame. This left me powerless and eroded my sense of self and consequently my self-esteem. My triumph over the past? Today, I sat with my muffin casually and calmly like a normal person. I sat at a table, muffin on a plate, and I ate it slowly. I tasted every aspect of the muffin. It was soft and spongy. The outer edges were a little crunchy, and the muffin was light in my mouth and sweet to taste. It was delectable. I ate until I felt satisfied. The triumph over the past? I ate a muffin, and I left the other half. Today, I put the leftovers back in the brown paper bag and told myself I can have that other half whenever I want it. I can have it 10 minutes from now, half an hour from now, later this afternoon or tonight for something sweet after dinner. And if I don't want it today, I can have it tomorrow, maybe as part of my breakfast or for morning tea or whenever the fuck I feel like it. The triumph over the past, food, freedom. Later that day, I taught an RPM class. The triumph over the past, I exercised for the joy of teaching in class, for the joy of moving my body and not for the penance or punishment for what I ate earlier that day. Later that night, I ate dinner. My triumph over the past, I didn't skip dinner to make up for punishing myself for what I had eaten that day. 
Later that night, when I went to bed, I went to bed full, happy and satisfied at no longer thinking about the muffin. I had moved on. I also wasn't thinking about how I'd make up for it tomorrow. The moral of the story. Fourteen years ago, I could have only dreamt of being the kind of person I am today around food. I just don't know where to begin to tell you how different this is for me. I've gone from hiding in a public toilet, inhaling a muffin, whilst riddled so full of guilt and shame that I didn't even get to taste, let alone enjoy the damn food, to being able to sit and savour every mouthful I even have leftovers. Today, food is no longer good or bad. Food is just food. I am able to incorporate all foods to be part of a healthy diet. I no longer need to use control, willpower or discipline to keep me in check. These days, my body tells me what I need, and when I've had enough, I can trust this natural process. For me... This is food freedom. It's also happiness and peace. Money. Welcome to the Fustel Fit Podcast with your host, Nicola Fustel. Straight talking, body positive coach and personal trainer. Nicola brings you your weekly guide to finding real health and fitness and to live the life you deserve. Hello and welcome to the Fustal Fit Health and Fitness podcast and radio show on 91.8 Hayes FM. I'm Nicola Fustal and you're listening to episode 24. I speak to Amanda Boss, eating psychology coach, all the way in Australia. It was night time for me and it was morning time for her. And it's really interesting to speak to people across the world. I just find it fascinating that you can have so much in common with somebody all on the other side of the world. And, and as she mentions in this interview when she was suffering with eating issues she felt like she was the only person in the world and I think many people will resonate with that and me personally as well I have also felt like that and it's so nice that in this day and age we can speak to people all over the world and if your immediate friends and family are not understanding something that you're going through it doesn't matter there are people out there who do and have been going through the same thing themselves or have been there and done that and got over it and I really do believe anything that you're going through just Be compassionate with yourself and know that somebody out there has been through the same thing and found a solution. So just sit tight, open the World Wide Web and get speaking to people. So I first heard about Amanda from the Body Image Movement Global Ambassadors page as we're both on there. And I read her blog, which I just read to you at the beginning of this podcast, the one about the muffin. And as a fitness instructor herself, I thought I really resonate with her and thought that we'll be on the same page. And it turns out that Amanda's a few pages ahead of me on this journey and that I could learn a few things from her because I've come to the place I accept my body now. I may even have days where I love it but I can't say that I feel like that every day and certainly the exercise part of it has been the last thing to go for me. I managed to sort out my food issues very soon on and then start working on my body image and the exercise being an exercise instructor I find the hardest thing. So speaking to Amanda actually really helped me and Although some of my questions and responses to Amanda, I'm, well, not, not, not proud of, but maybe a little bit embarrassed about because I'm not quite there yet and it's very obvious by the things that I say. But then at the same time, I want to be real and authentic and I am on this journey just as you are. And so I've not made it to the destination in all aspects of this journey and exercise is one of them. And so this is like... um therapy for me in a way having all of these great guests on my show who I can learn something from and at the same time I hope that you listeners are learning something from it too and wherever you may be on your journey so I really hope you get some benefit from this interview 
as I did. And thank you so much, Amanda, for sharing your story and, and helping others along the way too. So I start off by asking Amanda about her blog, which I read. If you could, if you could just take us back to that story and if you let us know how long ago that was for you, what life was like then and how you got from that place to where you are now? Sure. So um, that was back in, say, 2002, somewhere between 2000 and 2002, and I was in my um, early 20s. Uh, I was chronically dieting and um, I was always hungry and thinking about food and um, I would allow myself the once a week cheat day. And uh, back then, um, like just to walk through the plaza was hell because I could just smell all the smells so distinctly. I could, um, you know, smell the bakery from a mile away. I could smell the Chinese as I walked past, like I could smell each shop distinctly. Now when I walk through the plaza in this day and age, like I just smell smells and I'm not smelling all the food smells individually. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting actually when I watched um, Embrace and when Linda Bacon speaks and she talks about how our sense of smell is heightened when we're dieting and it's basically to um, – uh, make us eat anything, <laughs> which makes sense, yeah, like if you were in a famine situation and um, uh, starving for food and you had to rifle, say, through a bin for food, um, you kind of need to be able to eat anything that you can get in order to survive. And now I get that's what was going on for me. But at the time, I just thought I was this out-of-control pig with food. So I was chronically dieting and um, I was heavily into the gym and I was very inspired by like fitness models and bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always had this like dream in my head to get up on stage and compete. It never happened for me. I just couldn't do what it took to um, stick to that kind of diet. And so here I was, it was my cheat day and I thought, oh, I'm going to allow myself the the muffin and I bought it and it was just like it's like the muffin being placed into a into a red flashing bag it was just like shame 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 and I was so embarrassed holding this like muffin break bag um and so desperate to eat what was inside it that I couldn't wait to get home so I like dashed off into the public toilet and I shut the door and I just inhaled this muffin in, in the toilet and I didn't taste um, a bite of it um, because I ate it so quickly just to get over the guilt. And then, of course, I felt bad for eating so quick and having no self-control. And even though this was my like cheat day and I was allowed to have this, I was still just totally riddled with guilt as I ate it and um, it was a really tough time for me back then, like a really tough time and it was before the days of the internet so, you know, I couldn't Google uh, food binges or can't stop eating. I couldn't Google anything for help, right? I really felt on my own and uh, when I hit rock bottom, that's a story in itself, but when I hit rock bottom, I realised that I just wasn't normal, like what I was doing wasn't normal, this wasn't normal, I wasn't happy, 
Uh, why is it so hard to control my weight? It shouldn't be this hard. Other people don't have to do these extreme measures and they can stay in shape. But these were all my thoughts back at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just knew that I wanted help and I didn't know where to get help. But I just put it out there to the universe like I want help. I want to feel normal. I want to feel balanced again. And then um, I stumbled across a book called If Not Dieting, Then What? And how I came across that book is a story in itself as well. But um, basically I read that book and that was the start of my recovery. And so that was back in 2002 and it's now, what, 2017. So, yeah. It's been a long time. And um, Were you already in the fitness industry back then when you were having all those thoughts and having issues with food? Um, not quite then when I was in my worst, um, I got into the fitness industry. I qualified in 2005. So I at least had stopped the chronic binging. Um, but you know, I definitely still had good, good food, bad food thoughts and, um, all the very, um, you know, everyday things about, you know, well, you, you know, you should lose weight for your health and, uh, you know, if we could all just lose a little bit of weight and tone up, we'd all be happier, wouldn't we? And I had definitely those sorts of thoughts um, once I got into the fitness industry and, um, you know, still like, you know, fat's the enemy and watch your calories and da-da-da-da-da. So I still definitely had a lot of diet mentality thoughts going on, but I was no longer binging. Is that what made you want to get into the fitness industry? Um, what made me what get into it? I, I've always had an interest in health and fitness. Um, and I guess my personality type, you know, always achieve, do more, be more, inspire more, blah, 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 blah. Very typical. Um, and what actually made me get into it was when I was a teenager, a late teen participating in back in the day in the late nineties, aerobics classes and I used to just love and admire the aerobics instructor and just look up to her like she was, you know, God on sticks basically. Yeah. And, like, you know, the aerobics instructor was so admirable and so friendly and so approachable and likable and so energetic and motivated and inspirational. And I saw something in the aerobics instructor which I knew lived in me. So I was inspired, um, yeah, by, you know, basically back in the day aerobics, now known as group fitness. And um, that's where my passion lies is, you know, teaching and leading group fitness classes. So what was the process of getting well like for you? Did you actually, were you diagnosed with an eating disorder? Did you have to have any therapy? Oh, I wish. (laughs) You know, that was, that was my problem, eh? Um, was no I wasn't diagnosed with an eating disorder and I kind of say I wish a bit loosely there um because I don't wish that obviously but this this was my problem I wasn't thin enough to be anorexic I didn't have what it took to be bulimic I was just somewhere in between and um it was very difficult to get help. Like I said earlier, it was before the days of the internet. So I'd never heard of this binge eating or emotional eating. And I honestly thought I was the only one in the whole wide world with this problem. 
And then I stumbled across the book, If Not Dieting, Then What? And that at least stopped me from all the chronic dieting and binge eating. Um, and then I kind of plotted through life. Interesting enough, once I stopped dieting, my life actually changed. I, I then attained my fitness qualifications. I then later moved from Coffs to Sydney. I then worked in an office, uh, worked at various um, uh, fitness centers uh, in Sydney and then in the Blue Mountains. And then I came back to Coffs Harbour. And when I came back here, I got back involved with like um, I met a group of friends and that somehow I sort of just got back involved in the bodybuilding sort of scene and, um, and then I started dieting again, which is quite interesting and and then, you know, the same thing started to happen again, just, you know, the strictness and the regimentedness and um, uh, focusing on my body again and da-da-da-da-da and then somehow, I don't even know, now the internet was out and somehow I stumbled across intuitive eating and I bought that book and I read that um, shortly after my last diet in 2012. And, um, yeah, then that was that was probably it for me. Once I read Intuitive Eating and then I started to buy a whole heap of other books, now the internet was out so I could Google stuff and I just started buying books and books and books and books and books on this topic and reading and reading and reading and that's then when I actually was able to disengage from the diet mentality. And I have to say that's that was probably where my true recovery lied when I actually disengaged from the diet mentality because um, it's so pervasive and you don't realise you're in it. You know, like when when you don't realise you are in the culture because you are the culture. Yeah. And um yeah, when I started reading these books, you know, Linda Bacon, Health at Every Size, Body Respect, um, you know, I realised how thick I was in this diet culture and then I actually started to develop like body acceptance, fat acceptance, you know, prior to reading these books, I you know, fat was the enemy and fat was a bad thing and, you know, I definitely, you know, I'm not, um, proud to say this, but you know, you know, I had thoughts like, yeah, fat is bad, fat is ugly, fat is lazy. You know, yeah, I definitely believed all those things about fat. And as I started to read these books, I realized my prejudice and my bias. And now I realize fat doesn't mean that. And that would have to be um, probably the biggest thing to my healing is coming to terms with um, fat and. Um, and, and then, of course, you know, my fat. Yeah, I, I can mm. totally relate to that. And I'm wondering, is do you think the fitness industry really uh, excelled your, your original thoughts that you had anyway, maybe from your family or friends or your upbringing? Or was it the fitness industry that really gave you those beliefs? Ooh, <laughs> double whammy, definitely <laughs> both. Yeah, definitely both. The, the fitness industry definitely, um, oh, you know, yeah, the fitness industry definitely sells these ideas and maybe not consciously, sometimes very consciously and forthrightly, but, you know, sometimes it really is in good intentions, you know, like don't we all want to look good and feel good? Like just lose a little bit of weight and tone up. It seemed really harmless and it seemed really helpful and now I realise it's not. 
So, yes, the fitness industry definitely, and especially, of course, when I got into and was inspired by bodybuilding. Um, and, of course, then growing up was quite interesting. Um, my, um, you know, my parents were, um, when I think about it now, like, um, my first thought, my first, my very first memory of learning that big is bad was um, I was probably about four and I was in the car and um, mum said something about like Nana would need extra seat belt to go around her. I can't remember what the full story was. I was four, right? It's a bit foggy. But I remember that she would need like more seat belt in order to fit around her. And it was just a joke. But what my subconscious, my little four-year-old brain took in was um, big is less desirable. Obviously, at four years old, I didn't think that, but that is certainly what went into my head, being yeah. bigger is less desirable. You know, then at eight years old, I remember my mum dieting down to fit into a size eight leather outfit to go out disco dancing. Um, she used to compare herself to my auntie who had a flat stomach and was a gymnast teacher. Uh, I remember my mum counting calories and then when I was a teenager, my mum showing me the calorie counter book and then I got into calorie counting as a teenager. Um, you know, my mum and my dad, when I think about it now, they only ever exercised for aesthetics. They never exercised for functional fitness. They never exercised for health. They never exercised for uh, a marathon or performance. It was always, always, always aesthetics. Um, and then... What really um, did it for me, I think, like when my mind started to shift, I was probably now like somewhere between 9 and 12 and I remember my mum's husband made a joke to my mum about her being fat or porky and um, he would like poke her and my mum's not, right, she's a very slender, small woman and I remember thinking, well, if she can be called fat, what am I? And, you know, I was only 11 or 12. That was the logic of my 11 or 12-year-old brain. And then I started to, like, look down at my thighs when I was sitting down and, you know, when they'd push out and thinking they're wide and then I'd be comparing my legs to other legs of people who were sitting next to me. Um, and then as a teenager, you know, Nana would comment on my weight. If I lost weight, she would tell me I was looking good. If I put weight on, she'd tell me I was getting too fat. Um, then as a teenager, now reading magazines, looking at the images in the magazines, desiring to be more like those images because that's obviously beautiful, noticing that the boys in high school definitely preferred the more prettier, attractive, slimmer girls. Um, and then my first diet started at 14 and um, I went on a diet because I was going on a P&O cruise and I wanted to look my best. Um, and I, I lost a lot of weight, as you quite often doing your first diet, it was a success and um, I was in the size that I wanted to be and, you know, I felt great. I looked great and because of that I felt great. However, after the cruise when I ate all the food and then I came back and I tried to go back on that diet again, I couldn't do it. I couldn't stick to it and that's when the yo-yo began, on the diet, off the diet, all good, all bad, very clean, very messy and um, it just snowballed from like the age of say 15 to 21, 22 when I hit rock bottom. How did you feel about your body throughout that process? 
Oh, um, never happy. Always making comparisons. It was never good enough. And, you know, when I look at photos of myself back then, I certainly wasn't fat, but, geez, boy, did I feel it, hey? Like, you don't have to be fat to believe you are fat. And, yeah, yeah really, I, I did. I was always just in a constant state of dissatisfaction with my body. So then when you started getting better and you'd read all of the books and you started your transition to health at every size... What was that process like for you, like the paradigm shift of having changed all of your beliefs? Did you ever feel like, I I don't want to know all of this stuff, maybe I want to go back, maybe I want to go back on a diet and continue living without knowing, or was it just a straightforward, this is what I'm going to do and just keep researching more and more? Oh, just, it was straightforward and I just wanted to keep keep researching more and more and more. Um, It was liberating, you know, um, and I was feeling better. <laughs> um, obviously, when I started to eat again properly and um, stop artificially maintaining my weight through diet and compulsive exercise, of course, I, I gained weight. Um, I would say I gained, you know, my natural body set point, the weight where I don't have to um, stress and worry. And, um, you know, I had to embrace that, that that was interesting when it first started to happen. But I, you know, I just realized um, I feel better <laughs> eating this way and living this way and thinking this way. And, um, you know, the false promises that the diet and weight loss industry gave me, it over promised and under delivered. And it never gave me really the happiness and satisfaction that I desired, even when I had a six-pack and could wear midriff tops and, you know, I was the size number that I wanted to be and the numbers on the scales. You know, I still was not happy. And I realised as I started to gain my natural set point weight, um, I felt better. And as I... Sometimes I would look at myself in the mirror and be like, uh, like, uh, there's a role there or this, that. And I just, then I had to really challenge those thoughts and be like, well, what am I making that mean? And this is then when I started to disengage my self-worth from my body. And I think that's probably was the next biggest contributor to my recovery was disengaging self-worth from my body and realizing even if this body um no matter how this body changes like that that my self-worth is not in that <laughs> and that's when I started to value myself more as a person and then that made you know the um weight gain much easier to deal with and manage and to be comfortable with and just accept how do you think you did that did you have a coach or anybody to help you or anyone to be accountable to Oh, again, <laughs> I wish, but no. Um, I I honestly, I did all this on my own and I did it through reading and self-reflecting. Um, I've always, always been big in personal development. Um, you know, like today I see a life coach, but I don't have to see her in regards to body issues. Um, but, you know, I've always done courses. I've always read books. Um yeah, so it's it has really been honest self-reflection. 
And, and being able to challenge my thoughts, like being able to challenge my thoughts and my beliefs and the ability to give up a belief. You know, we often feel if we give up a belief, it means, oh, we were wrong and no one likes to feel wrong. But it's give. It's not a matter of right and wrong. It's give up what doesn't work for you anymore. You know, if if you're dieting and you're hungry and you're cranky and you've got no libido and and, and you're miserable and you're crying all the time and you're poking your body and looking at it in the mirror. Like, obviously what you're doing isn't working for you. It's, it's You're not happy. And so to give up the thoughts, you know, at first it does feel like you're giving up on yourself. And But acceptance isn't resignation. Acceptance isn't throwing in the towel. Acceptance is merely the absence of judgment. And... That was a big penny drop for me too. And were you ever scared of gaining too much weight? Mm, um, I think when I first started, um, yeah, when I first let go of the regimented strict dieting that I was doing and um, like when I first started to surround myself, I bought cookies and all and biscuits and all chocolates and all the things that I loved. And I surrounded myself with a ridiculous amount of these foods and I was packing them in my lunch and whatnot. And I didn't eat them all, but just having them there was because I knew that there was so much of them there, then I didn't have to eat them all. And, but I was eating like you know, a couple of biscuits a day. And I must say, yeah, I did worry, like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, I did worry. Um, and the weight did come on, but, you know, I didn't go, and I say this in quotes, like out of control. Yeah, I did put on weight because I was no longer artificially controlling my weight. And these days, you know, I'm much, much more uh, logical about it. Like I, it just, you know, everything evens out in the end. Like, <laughs> We act like we're one bite away from obesity or one bite away from diabetes and one bite away from a heart attack. And it's ridiculous. Like one hamburger, one bowl of ice cream, you know, in the larger scheme of things, um, it all evens out. And, and you know, now I eat very freely um, and, no, and now I know I don't worry about gaining too much weight. That's amazing that you've done all of this by yourself. Because just mentioning what you've said there about having all of the food and putting it in your lunchbox, that's what I had to do. And I just kind of call it the food training where to get over yeah. an anxiety of one particular food, you just have to have it all the time so that you know that there's no, 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 no fear over that food. You can have yeah. it anytime you want and you just have to kind of do the work, allow yourself to have it. But for me, I found that bit really challenging because I, I guess it was my ingrained fat phobia where I thought, you know, if I allow myself to have this, I'm going to eat it all. I'm going to become obese. Like you're saying, within a mouthful, I'll become obese. Mm -hmm. It's that black and white thinking, and it's something that's so scary. And I think really yeah. the fat thing, like you said, really is massive training to be able to get over that and realize all of those beliefs were wrong. And then yeah. that just kind of has a knock-on effect with everything else, which comes down to obviously the food as well. But it's amazing yeah. that you've done that all by yourself. Yes, yeah. And... You know, consequently, it has been a long process, like, say, from 2002 up to 2012. Um, yeah, so that's a long time. And I guess 
when I think about that, that's why I like to say to someone, um, you know, if you are struggling, you know, see a coach who specialises in this sort of thing or a therapist or a counsellor or a psychologist who specialises in, um, you know, the psychology of eating and binge eating and emotional eating and work with someone because it doesn't need to take you that long. And um, if you do work on your own, you must be very consistent and diligent, you know, like that whole time in one way or another I was always constantly working on myself and that's a long time. Most people don't dedicate that much time to their own self-development and, um, um, you know, if you if you want to see results quicker and not have it take as long as it did for me, definitely work with someone who um, – you know, specialises in this sort of work and help is out there and you don't have to live in this, um, you know, this horrible trap. Yeah. But at the same time, many people like myself included, I spent 10 years working on myself being disordered, you know, not realising what was happening and thinking that I just had a problem with food and, and my body was broken and just spent 10 years going round and round that cycle. So I yes. think in a way for some people, it, it, um, I guess the longer you stay disordered, it's going to be longer to get it out of you because some things are like Absolutely. habit, aren't they, with your brain, the way that you think about things and that diet culture, the way that we see things in the media, it can affect you in a certain way because it's habit. Yes, yeah, yeah, so, so true. And, you know, like my disordered eating told me I was disciplined with pristine eating habits and anyone who proceeded to tell me that I was obsessed like I would just assume them to be lazy yeah. <laughs> and you know people did <laughs> me too. express their concern to me like Amanda you're a bit obsessed don't you think and I used to just think oh like you don't know what dedication is like look at you you're <laughs> lazy um and yeah you know like I, you know the saying like obsessed is a word um lazy used to describe the dedicated like that really was my thinking and um yeah it was really it was like health was the disguise and health is such a great disguise isn't it because yeah. it allowed well it allowed me to get away with my disordered eating for a very long time because health has become so morally valued in our society and someone seen doing health-like behaviours is to consider to be a good person and their behaviour is highly admirable. So, you know, I had lots of people telling me that I was doing a great thing and I'm so dedicated and I'm so healthy. Um, and then, like, if someone loses weight, we praise them and we commend them. And if someone gains weight, we covertly condemn and chastise them. Yeah. Um, and what I've had to learn, I guess, is health is more than our physical form. And this is probably something that um, really slapped me in the face as I was reading, you know, like health at every size and body respect. And health needs to include our mental and our emotional well-being. And it really, our health cannot be determined by our appearance or by the number on the scale. And when I was in the grips of my disordered eating, I might have looked great on the outside, but my mental and my emotional health suffered. And this eventually bled into my physical health and, of course, my personal relationships, all of which suffered. So, you know, like the take-home message that I want to put out there is it really it's high time that we recalibrate our approach. And for optimum health, we really need to prioritise health before beauty. 
and the focus needs to be on health promotion rather than weight management. And the first time I heard that said, I was like, huh, health promotion, weight management, like there's a difference? And I really had to think about that. And, you know, health needs to be recognised as more than our physical weight. It incorporates our mental and emotional well-being. And what I discovered is like the stress that I created around food was more detrimental than some of the food that I was actively trying to avoid. So, you know, ladies and gents, at the end of the day, don't sacrifice a healthy mind in the pursuit of a good-looking body. You know, let's value the, um, the care and the health of our soul and watch how the body magically comes along for the ride. That's amazing. <laughs> but also, you know, we think so much that health is a look. And because we see it in the magazines, in the media. And so therefore, even people who are using health as their reason for all of their behaviours or obsessions um, and ways of eating, sometimes even the food, like like myself, when I was back then, I would eat those, you know, zero calories, zero carbs, zero protein, zero everything foods, which I don't even know what they are. Um, <laughs> they just taste like plastic. <laughs> Yeah. And so it's not real food. So eating that food was not a health food for me, but because it was mm. going to give me the aesthetics, I thought I was doing health behaviors. You yes. know, and things like yes. protein bars, you know, it's okay to eat a protein bar, but it's not okay to eat a chocolate bar. When yes. you broke them down bit by bit with ingredients, they'd probably the protein bar may be less healthy for you than the chocolate bar. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point like you know, in 2002 when I read If Not Dieting, Then What, uh, yes, I stopped the binge eating and then, I, you know, interesting enough, my life blossomed, I studied, I did different things, I moved, I worked in an office, I doubled my income because I was no longer um, obsessed with dieting. I had now had room for other things in my life. But then when I came back to Coffs Harbour and I got into that, like, bodybuilding scene, exactly what you just said then was – you know, I was looking at these images as images of health and then what you have to eat to be healthy like that. And interesting enough, I started dieting and I didn't realize I was dieting. I thought I was clean eating. Um, I didn't see that as dieting. I thought I was just being really, really healthy. Um, and, and, you know, I even got into organic eating at one stage. Um, this was after I'd actually just read Intuitive Eating and um, – and I got into organic eating and after about four or five or six months, I realized, holy shit, oh, I just turned this into a diet. Like I was being strict about it. I was being self-righteous about it. It was regimented. And don't get me wrong, I still value organic eating. But these days, if I don't eat organic, um, it's not a stress. It's not a problem. I can eat organic food and I can eat non-organic food and uh, it's okay now. But yeah, interesting how we can just take these seemingly, uh, you know, well-intended concepts and and just twist them and mutilate them into something else. And I, at the end of the day, we just we need to be mindful and reflect on ourselves. Like, is this bringing me the happiness that I want? Am I living the life that I want? Um, you know, can I do the things that I want to do in my life? And to really reflect and answer those questions honestly because, um, you know, the question I now ask is, is your version of healthy really healthy? 
Yeah, I'm so glad you just said that about the dieting because in a way the media has also done that by calling things clean eating as you were saying and then cheat eating mm. which is in another way like a restriction and then a binge. Yeah, yeah and you know this cheat days you know all we're doing now is just glorifying binge eating and mm. and making that normal and you know binging's not normal it's I mean, it's not a pleasant way to live and yeah. it, life doesn't have to be that way i much rather have the chocolate and the biscuits and the ice cream in the cupboard and you know sometimes i'm eating it and sometimes i'm not and it just comes and it goes and you know so much freedom to be able to have these foods in the cupboard all the time whereas before i lived by the value you know out of sight out of mind yeah. and that's just another form of deprivation and restriction and it's just so much nicer to be able to have these foods around and they're no longer like a magnet to yeah. me <laughs> you don't need to <laughs> eat them all to get them out the house <laughs> exactly exactly so yeah so can we talk a little bit about exercise like did you ever feel that you had exercise addiction or that you were doing too many hours of exercise maybe with your job or even before being in the fitness industry um yeah, so I have gone through various phases. Definitely when I was dieting and binging, um, uh, yeah, I would, you know, binge and then compensate by doing two hours worth of exercise. Yeah, you know, when I, when, when I was exercising in compensation for what I ate, I was definitely doing too much. And as my job as a fitness instructor, um uh, you know, we can all sometimes work more hours than what we should in whatever job we've got, and fitness is definitely no exception to that. Um, you know, these days I just try to have um, three permanent classes, and and then there's always these covers and fields, and I want to do my own training. So, and I work at three different gyms, and each gym is always needing fields. So while I may only teach three permanent classes a week, you know, I'm always getting called up to do more. So sometimes um, without intending to, I can end up doing more exercise um, or, or too much exercise and that by the end of the week I'm very knackered. It's a bit like anyone who could just end up working too much overtime in their job and then end up very knackered. And, yeah, as a fitness instructor I've learnt to have to say no sometimes or pull back. Um, drop classes, drop programs if need be, and really put my health and um, rest and recovery first. Um, not easy, though, when it is your job and, you know, you are sometimes required to do covers when, you know, no one else is around. It's like, Amanda, we need someone to cover this class. It's on at 3.30 in the afternoon. So-and-so's just fallen sick. Can you do it? I'm like, oh, today's my rest day. But, <sighs> okay, if I'm the only one. <laughs> You know, I do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and all instructors, I think um, we have pushed through and taught classes when we don't feel well. These days, if I feel myself getting sick, I'll put my hand up straight away and be like, can I get my classes covered this week? I need to rest. But there's been times where sickness has come on suddenly and I have had, can't, haven't had to, haven't had the opportunity to get a cover and have had to push through whilst sick. Um, so we, um, 
Yeah, as instructors, we do actually end up doing more than what we should. And sometimes it's not obsession. It's just like a work demand. Mm -hmm. And we need to be extra diligent in managing that because otherwise it can push us around and we can have burnout. I mean, you sound like you're way ahead of the game than I am with exercise. And I have to say that is the hardest thing for me to um, get my head around because, I mean, I'm doing, say, eight classes a week and I've, I've had to reduce a lot and I do try to do some of my own training as well. And I, I used wow. to do like 16 hours a week of exercise. Um, and I know people who that do like 21 hours of classes. And I think, yeah. you know, because I, I always struggled with is exercise addiction, is it physical or is it mental? And I, I think it actually is physical because I know if I do a certain number of exercise classes, if I had some days off, I would then start itching for another workout. I wouldn't be comfortable right. in relaxing. And it's like within yeah. a week, I can get addicted again to exercise. So I think yeah. it's really hard to find that balance. And then when it is your job as well, you can't just say, right, I'm going to take all this time off and then exercise intuitively. Like when I feel yeah. like moving my body and however I want to move it, you just can't. You have to do what you have to do. And especially mm. with classes like the Les Mills ones where you teach from the front and you have to lead by example. And, you know, yeah. I've, I've really struggled with that. How, how do you teach your Les Mills classes? Um, so... Yeah, when I was single, I was teaching four Les Mills programs and, you know, that was okay while I was single because, well, I pretty much filled up my life with fitness classes and dedicated my life to that. And I loved that and I was enjoying that. But then when I met my partner and we got engaged and we moved in together, my priorities and my values started to change and I wanted more time to be able to enjoy him and life and, you know, I didn't want to be teaching classes on my weekend and I didn't want to be feeling so tired and run down. I wanted more energy. So I dropped back from four programs to two and then I later dropped back from two to one and then I was just teaching RPM. And what was the question again? How do you deal with uh, leading from the front? Because obviously with those yeah. Les Mills classes you have to – lead by example, be a role model, lift the heaviest weights, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, one of the ways I had to deal with it was yeah, by pulling back the amount of programs that I was doing um, as my life priorities and values started to change. And, um, you know, when, when I first started out in the fitness industry, I guess I, when, when I was young and I first started out, I believed I had to be the fittest person in the room. And that's a huge pressure <laughs> because there's definitely people in the room who are a lot fitter than me, right? And so to expect me to be the fittest person in the room and have to do the most was just crazy. And I quickly learned to undo that belief and not think that. Um, and now, you know, I just I think I only need to be fit enough to do this class, yeah, and to lead the class with great technique and motivation and um, – it's interesting, as I am now coming back into teaching body pump, I've had like two years off from the program. Holy cow, like I pick up a bar and I do body pump and I do it with a light weight and I'm like, this is so hard. And it's just <laughs> given me a ton of compassion to realise how new people feel. And so now, you know, consequently this has taught me like the importance of options and you know, I will now gladly role model an option. If I'm tired, I, I do. I do drop my weights. Um, 
Um, you know, if I can feel my muscles fatiguing, if I need to, I'll do the push-ups on my knees. Um, and, and, you know, I, I say to my people and as I say to myself, choose your option and work your option with pride. And I just think that to myself, you know, I'm just going to do this lower level option. And if I'm challenged by that, that's enough. You know, if you're doing a lower level option and it's a challenge for you, consider it enough. So choose your option and work your option with pride. I like that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, because I've got that compassion now for how bloody hard (laughs) this workout is when you're getting back into it and how it must feel for new people, yeah, I think now I can be more relatable actually to newer people and, you know, hopefully they're more inclusive. So when newer people come in and they see the instructor doing a lower level option and they do a lower level option, they don't feel so down and bad about themselves. It's like it's okay to do a lower level option. And look, she's still strong and fit, even working at a lower level option. Yeah, I think I I can learn a lesson from you on that one because I've definitely (laughs) been the person who's felt like I I am the fittest person in the room and I need to maintain that level and I've set the bar now and everybody expects me to be the same way. And I remember I'd hurt my back once as well and I'd put the bar down and people were like, oh, Nicola, what's going on? Why are you lifting lower weight? Because everybody would look at my weights to then set their weights. And I felt like so much pressure to always be the fittest and the strongest and doing the same thing all the time, regardless of how many classes I'm teaching that day, you know, and they're turning up for their first class of the day. Yes. Yes. So it's definitely, yeah. definitely a, a challenging one. And I feel like having set the bar, if I was to then, you know, go down on my knees and do the easier options that people would then come down with me. And how would I motivate them to still push hard if I'm doing easier? Mm, yeah, I guess. Ah. Uh... I guess, you know, those who want to do things on their toes and do the higher level options, those people are the ones, you know, um, you know, those people who like to push themselves really hard, they're, they're the ones who are naturally motivated and they will be up on their toes and doing all the harder options regardless of what you are doing. You know, the ones who are very fit, the elite athletes who are in your class, they're going to do it at the higher level option regardless because that's who they are and and they're naturally motivated that way. And, you know, those guys almost kind of pretty much push and lead themselves. So really who we want to be focusing our attention on is the other people. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, you're better off to do a lower level option and keep moving continuously throughout the workout then do like one or two hard push-ups on your toes and then conk out for the next 45 minutes. So you'd be better off to do a lower-level option, keep working for 45 minutes, then do one or two, and that's too much for you and conk out. And something to keep in mind as well, I think, is, you know, we only really need to be fit for life. Um, You know, I'm just an instructor. I only need to be fit enough to do my job, which, yeah, sure, that's a slightly higher level fitness than... Um, the average Joe Blow, but, geez, I'm not an athlete, so why am I putting these pressures on myself to be that fit? It's not necessary. I only need to be fit for life and I need to be fit to do my job. And I think people coming to our fitness classes, um, if they can get, they just need to be fit for life. So long as they're being challenged in their workout, 
it doesn't matter if they're doing the lower level options. And the same goes for us instructors. It actually, we need to look at what are we making it mean about us if we take a lower level option. And quite often it's something like, oh, I'm weak or I'm this or I'm that, or we're engaging in all the shoulds. I should be strong. I should be this. I should be running faster. Yeah. And, you know, change your shoulds to coulds, you know. I could be doing push-ups on my toes, but today I'm going to do them on my knees and that's challenging enough for me today. Yeah, that's definitely a hard one for me. I feel like if I, I'd be giving up in a way because, you know, you want, you want to challenge yourself, don't you? Motivate yourself to, to push harder and be stronger. But then I guess you have your ups and downs with your energy levels and from day to day. And so not every single day you're going to be pushing yourself. But it is, yeah. it is a battle in the mind to think, well, if I'm not pushing now, am I just being lazy today? Am I, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm not really working as I should be pushing myself, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think it's definitely something that we as instructors need to challenge because otherwise in every class we're always like push, 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 go, go, go. And then what what message are we sending to our participants? Like, you know, we're te teaching them. They've got to push 100% all the time, otherwise their workout isn't worth it. And, you know, if you've got someone who's there and they're sick or they're injured or they're tired and, and they're operating under that mentality, then they're more susceptible to injuries and burnout and, you know, their, work, their workout becoming a punishment rather than a pleasure. And, you know, we then um, – propagate is that the right word we then like we're, we're selling that to them and yeah, so, so I often say at the end of my classes now like you know on a scale of one to ten one being you're still sitting on the lounge watching tv ten being you just climb mount everest where were you today on that scale with your workout and where no matter what number what scale you rate yourself at just take note of that and know that that's good enough. And today might not have been your best day, but you know what? You turned up, you showed up, you got dressed. Here you are. The hardest part is done. You got out of bed and, you know, you did your workout and it's enough. <laughs> and, you know, next week you might be at an 8 out of 10. This week maybe it was a 5 out of 10. But, you know, you're here and you did it and that's enough. And just reassure them of that. Um I've been in classes where my muscle has cramped up or my knee has started to hurt and I've just pulled back and I just said, guys, you've got to keep going, my knee's playing up. And there have been times where I've had to stop and I've just honoured my body. And I guess that's another thing as well when you listen to and honour your body and that becomes more of a priority than what you should be doing and all the expectations that you think that are placed upon you by the people in front of you and society and fitness. But you put that aside and honouring your body is way more important than all the shoulds um, and that becomes a deep value for you, then it's easier and possible to be able to do these things like pull back and demonstrate lower level options. Mm, definitely. <laughs> so obviously in the health and fitness industry and the body positive community and you've written a blog about health and fitness versus body positivity how do you yeah. feel the two can collide and how, how are you making it work in your own life and, and uh, profession? Mm, interesting because <laughs> uh, sometimes it doesn't <laughs> but um, sometimes there is definitely a conflict of interest and it's sad. I don't think it has to be that way. I think, I think at the end of the day it's, you know, it's the culture 
that we need to address. Um, it's very easy to get angry at certain individuals. You know, I see people ranting off at, you know, people like Michelle Bridges or Ashley Bynes and da-da-da-da-da. Um, you know, but once upon a time I was like that too. You know, I, I was preaching and teaching like them and, you know, I certainly wasn't rubbing my hands together going, mm, let me mess up some people's emotional well-being today and turn them into compulsive, disordered people. No, but, was you know, I, my heart, I thought I was inspiring and these people think they are too. It's not the people. It's not gyms per se or exercise equipment. It's the culture and it's the culture we need to address. Um I think we need to keep our eye on that and, yeah, address the culture. Are you talking about diet culture? Yes, yeah, diet culture and, you know, that uh, fitspo, thinspo, that sort of culture, you know, uh, health has a particular look, you know, like bodybuilding apparently, you know, they're the epitome of health and fitness. Yeah. Um, but if ever you've been in that industry or been one of those people or around them, you actually know that a lot of them struggle and are under a lot of pressure and they're not quite as healthy as we would like to think they are. Um, so, yeah, you know, yes, yeah. And the body image movement, at what point in your journey did you discover body image movement and then become an ambassador and promote the movie Embrace? Um. So I think it was actually my fiancé who brought my attention to the body image movement through Facebook. Um, like he sent me the link and he's like, hey, check out this chick and what she's doing. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's pretty interesting. And, you know, I liked the body image page and I started following it on social media. Um, and then Embrace was coming out. And, I, you know, through social media I saw the opportunity to host a screening and, um a little voice in my head just said, you've got to do this. So when I, I started to then check out more about the body image movement and reading their website and saw that you could become an ambassador, and, you know, I've always, ever since I was a little girl, I've always wanted to be an ambassador for something. Um, I just love the concept ambassador, and I'd love to be an ambassador for someone or something. And holy cow, now here I am looking at the body image website, and you can become a body image movement global ambassador. So, you know, I applied, and I got accepted, and then Embrace was coming out, and little voice in my head just said, you know, you've got to do this, Amanda, you've got to do this. And I was really nervous because event organisation is not my thing. I don't like organising events. I don't even want to host a Tupperware party because I don't want to invite people. And, you know, I was a bit like, oh, if I host a screening, it's like, you know, asking people to come to your Tupperware party or your Thermomix demonstration and no one wants to come along to that shit. <laughs> but they do to be polite. Anyway, so I went and saw my life coach and I worked through all that. And I got, like, who better to bring Embrace to Coffs Harbour than me? Like, come on, Amanda, you've got to step up. You've got to do this. And I was so fortunate because um, I brought it forward to all the three fitness clubs that I work at here in Coffs Harbour, and they all really took the message on and they all promoted it, all the fitness clubs and wow. all the gym managers from the three major clubs here in Coffs Harbour were at my screening. That's so, amazing. 
Um, it was fantastic to be – and, of course, then um, a lot of PTs got behind me and PTs invited their clients and wow. uh, the gyms promoted it. So a lot of members and um, PTs were there and all the gym managers were there. So they were able to watch Embrace and get its message and um, really understand what this body positivity is about and body diversity is about um, – and understand more where I'm coming from and, you know, the, the good message that I'm promoting. Do you know what? That, that is actually quite shocking to me in a way because that, that's what I wanted to do because I felt like I've been trying to promote this message so much that all of the gyms and fitness people have been ignoring me thinking I'm doing something that goes against them and maybe promoting people eating whatever they like and not exercising and that kind of thing. So I just really wanted them to see the movie because I knew that that would change their perceptions. But then getting them there was, you know, the biggest challenge and hardly any of them did. So it's amazing that you managed to do that. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, maybe here in Coffs Harbour, and this again is what I'm saying about it's the culture we want to address, right? So the gyms that I work at, work at, yeah, they do things like 12-week challenges and summer shreds and bikini bodies. And then, yeah, they do all those annoying things, right, that, um, I definitely don't get behind or promote. Um, but this is the culture <laughs> and it's marketing and it's advertising and weight loss sells and, you know, <sighs> forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. <laughs> um, yeah, and so, yeah, they do all those things, but at the same time, the gyms that I work at, they've got, we've got some really genuine, um, good soul, good-hearted people who are really, really there for the community, really, really there for the people. They really, really do want to help. Their heart is in the right place. Um, and, and when I sent them the trailer and, and, you know, messaged them about what Embrace was about, they were all just jumped on and it was all just like, yeah, like, and, and they knew that this is a problem. This is an epidemic, you know. PTs are working with people who um, are just accepting not good enough as norm and these people are doing awesome jobs with their lives, with their fitness, but yet they can't um, appreciate themselves for what they are. So, you know, the PTs are like, I get this message because I work with so many people who are inundated by this negative um, body image and it's just pervasive and so yeah everyone just got behind me because they got it um, they just they got it and and it just goes to show you know I think in the health and fitness industry people's hearts are in the right place they just need to become more aware of the culture and the damage that that culture does it's not motivating you know um, images uh, messages like sweat is uh, fat is sweat crying and all that sort of stuff and yeah all those like because they're based on shame and I think the fitness people just don't get that it's shame based because it really is like it's disguised as inspiration yeah. and um, it just takes a little bit of research and education I think to realize the difference between inspiration and shame based motivation or fear based motivation too so obviously we know you, you teach fitness classes, but you are known as the eating psychology coach. Can you tell yes. us a little bit about the work that you do there and how you help um, people? 
Yeah, so, um, yeah, as an eating psychology coach, um, like I work with um, men and women in regards to um, like yo-yo dieting, they're on the diet, they're off the diet, all good, you know, very messy. Um, and, yeah, more specialising. I don't work per se with people with, like eating disorders, more so people with um, that chronic dieting, binge eating, yo-yo dieting. So basically the people who I work with, they're where I was some years ago. They've done every diet possible. They've exercised themselves into exhaustion um, without the results they desire and they feel that their bodies have failed them. And they're looking for a more better, more nourishing way to relate to food and body and to stop feeling so obsessed with eating and to end that negative inner chatter. And I really I help people get behind the core reasons behind their struggles. So eventually, you know, at first the conversation is a lot around food and um, honouring your hunger and respecting your fullness and, you know, all the psychological deprivation. And once we start to heal that, then we can actually start to look at the real issues that are going on underneath. And, um, you know, quite often people just want to be heard or they want to be respected when they say they want to lose weight and they want to be happier and more confident. They really mean they want to be heard, they want to be respected, um, they want to be seen. Um, and when people, like, seem to be eating uncontrollably and they're not hungry and they can't stop, it's like, what are you trying to fill yourself up with? And, you know, we stop talking about the food and we start realising, like, you you lack pleasure in your life and, you know, you're turning to food to give you that source of pleasure or you lack excitement. So you eat lollies in a sneaky fashion because that's exciting and this is giving you the excitement that you don't have otherwise in your life. How can you get this need for excitement or comfort or pleasure or whatever it may be? How can you get this need met without using food? And that's when that's the exciting part when we really start to then, um, yeah, look at their more deeper issues and needs and wants. And then how do you help them with their body image? By using a lot of like cognitive behavioural therapy and challenging um challenging these ideas and belief systems um, and, and it, you know, explaining to them how it's the narrative of our society and our culture and how you've bought into this narrative and when you can externalise it in that way and separate it from yourself and see it, it really is a conversation that we buy into, you know. You know, as an example, Apple is good, Mars bar is bad, and um, fat is unattractive, embarrassing, and ugly, and slim is successful, confident, and happy. These are conversations that we buy into, and um, it's a function of our society. And just, yeah, you know, explaining to them how we buy into this and how we need to disengage and set up our own narrative. Um, and a lot of CBT work there to, um, yeah, to help challenge those thoughts and create new, more healthier, skillful, resourceful thinking. So yeah. how, how do you deal with people, though, when they come to you in class and then they ask you about things and they say, oh, it's all right for you, though, because you look like that 
and and I look like this and I need to get rid of this bit and you know I want to get in my bikini for my holiday because <sighs> um, it's, it's such a, a regular everyday conversation in the fitness world it is and again you know that's people making comparisons um, yeah I guess you know I could bring to their attention you know you're comparing your body to my body everybody is a good body um, you know if you're going on holiday how about focusing on how you want to feel while you're on the holiday rather than how you're going to look um, you know oh, I want to feel good though in a bikini I'm like and then I might share my story, you know, like how I got my body, bikini body, oh, no, swimsuit body ready without dieting. And basically all I did was um, buy a full-piece swimsuit, right? <laughs> it was the day when I transitioned from a bikini to a full-piece. And um, it's like, yep, I'm a mature woman now. <laughs> um, you know, and just share with them, well, maybe, you know, ditch the bikini and buy yourself a nice full-piece. There's some really nice, you know, sexy full-piece swimmers out there. Um you know, and not to compare their body or what they do. You know, quite often I get, oh, you do this and this and this fitness-wise, and I have to just say to people, yeah, but it's my job or you should know, like, yeah, I've done a lot this week, but I'm actually tired and run down and I wouldn't recommend anyone else to do this. Um, you don't need to do this much exercise to be fit and healthy and, and whatnot. Um, just talking to them in more logical, sensible terms and I guess it's not so much what we say again as fitness instructors and those who work in the health and fitness industry we need to get more responsible in how we role model so you know if, if participants are seeing us train when we're injured and sick they're going to think that's what you should do and you know us instructors and everyone in the fitness industry we need to pull our socks up around that I think and start being more responsible yeah definitely um, the other thing I was going to ask was because when people look at me, they, they say that what I just said to you, that it's okay for you because you look like that. And then I think, well, I've been on a journey where I did the whole bodybuilding thing and my body's changed a lot and I've put on a lot of weight. And to me, initially, I really struggled with that. But then there are people who are bigger than me who are thinking, you know, you're small size and I'm still in society viewed as a thin person, if you like. I'm not in a plus size range. So I'm yes. accepted by society with thin privilege. And I think it's, yes. there's like a, a big divide with the body positive community where you're a bigger person and then you're a smaller person. But I think regardless of what size you are, you can still have um, body dysmorphia. You could still feel that you're big and you're in a small body or you can just not like your body, you know, regardless of mm. the size or shape of it. Yeah, it's very interesting. And, um, in, you know, in this body positive community, I have come up against, you know, even myself being shamed. Like, who am I to promote body, posit body positivity? Like, you know, like I'm not fat enough. And it's like the thing is, is um, – you know, this is for everybody and it's not just weight. It's also, you know, um, the gender that you identify with, your race, um, your culture. You know, it, it does actually, this does extend past um, just, you know, weight and size and, and, and fatness. 
you know, it really is at the end of the day, it's just accepting everybody. Everybody is a good body and everybody, no matter of its size or shape, deserves love and respect. And it's about teaching people that our worth is not in our body. Like we are worthy just by being a member of the human race. That's enough to make you worthy. You don't need to be up on stage competing in a bodybuilding competition to be worthy. You're worthy just because you were born a human being. Yeah, you know, I have felt myself sometimes shunned or not accepted because I don't um, identify in a larger body and um, I'm not plus size range. But the thing is, is I have felt and believed I'm fat and suffered all the shame that goes along with that and held myself up to the um, standards of perfection and suffered the exhaustion of that and now I am no longer that. And, you know, I too, regardless of my size um, or shape, if I'm not big enough or whatever, I too want to promote this body positive message where how awesome it feels to let go of all that stuff. So I think we just really need to be careful to keep this open for everyone and, you know, eating disorders and body dysmorphia don't discriminate. You know, I've worked with and seen plenty of women who are, you know, models, um, very successful models, and, you know, they're beating themselves up big time and they're not happy. And mm, so this is for everyone, basically. Fantastic answer. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and on that note then is there anything else that you want to leave us with i think my favorite saying is health and vitality come in all shapes and sizes and we can aim to be healthy at our own natural weight rather than thin at any cost i like that mm. yeah it's probably my favorite quote and saying and um yeah just let that one sink in for a little bit but I have to say, I really appreciate your time today. And you've said a lot of things that are going to be sinking in with me. So when I'm going back through right. it and editing and everything, I'm going to really take on board everything you've said, because if if not everybody who's listening, you've definitely helped me. So um, thank you so much. Yeah, and thank you. Pleasure to be with you. And thank you for inviting me onto the show. You're welcome. Do you want to leave us with your website and uh, Facebook and social media details? Yes, certainly. So my website is up and happening in the process of being created. Um, but you can find me on um, Facebook, Amanda Boss Eating Psychology Coach. And I'm also on Instagram, eating underscore psychology coach. I think I am on Instagram there. Um, and soon enough, you'll see my face, uh, my website being promoted on my Facebook and you can catch me on there in a couple of months time once that's created. Brilliant. Thank you. So I'll leave all of those in the show notes anyway. So double check your Instagram <laughs> and then I'll leave the link in there. So, uh, Thanks, yeah. Nicola. Awesome. So, um, have a lovely day and thank you so much for your time. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave Nicola a review on iTunes. You can also check out the show notes and get other free content on her website, foodstallfit.co.uk. If you'd like to contact Nicola, email nicola at fustillfit.co.uk